0: know they're long rows it's kind of narrow but this is our new chairs and this is the way our setup's going to be so in between there's all kinds of crazy political campaigns going on I know New York has had theirs in the city and um, I thought this little poster of a man standing up at his uh, political announcement saying you know what I'm running my campaign like a bra not too revealing, but I still want your support. that <laughs> seems to be what's going on. Anyways, first of all, I just want to say that I've been blessed to have the available to me my husband's library and notes and study helps, and so not a lot of what I say is original. that's usually could be picked out. And I just want to say that up front. And I'd like for us, I know it's hard to do, but try to imagine 50 years ago, 150 years ago, that you were approaching studying this passage. And you wouldn't have all of the bias and all of the stuff that's been bombarded uh, through our culture to be going um, and influencing your thinking. In the first three chapters of Romans, Paul presents the facts about the wickedness of all mankind. Everyone is born a sinner. No one has any righteousness of their own. The pagan man or woman in an obscure jungle or cave or the very religious person in America both have no righteousness of their own. We used to live in a culture that had some respect and awareness of God, the Bible, and sin was actually called sin. But it seems those days have passed, and just like ancient pagan man, our culture has closed its mind to truth, embracing instead perversions of every kind to be the norm. The evil that pervades our culture really is astounding. To watch a news episode, you see things you could never have imagined happening. Mm -hmm. Cruelty, wickedness done to men, women, and children. It is only the gospel message that has the power to save. It reveals God's holiness, and it reveals his righteous standards. Jesus Christ is the only provision given for people to have righteousness on their account before a holy God. Someone might object, as is often said, and say, well, what about the people who have never heard about Jesus? They, don't have, they, they do have a valid excuse, don't they? Well, for the next three chapters, Paul speaks like he's a prosecuting attorney, and he's presenting the evidence of the guilt of all of mankind, religious or pagan. In verses 18 through 32, the first to stand trial are the heathen, unbelievers who haven't known or heard about the Bible or the God of the Bible. Many people think that those who have never heard any truth will have a valid excuse when they stand before God one day. But God says otherwise. Any person who has ever lived has not and is not conformed, well, they haven't, to the holy standards of God, they are responsible for their actions and their sin. They are not righteous, they are ungodly. Every one of us has rejected truth At times, and even those who have never heard about Jesus or the Bible are still without excuse. We see that in the proof that we're going to see today in our study. In the very beginning, he points out, Paul does, that the wrath of God is defined in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. How many TV and radio preachers choose to teach only about the love of God, and about having a good self-image, and avoid speaking about the wrath of God. Failure to preach about the wrath of God makes it impossible really to understand the gospel message. That's because the gospel begins with an understanding of the wrath of God, and that is where Paul starts. Wrath is not punishment. It is rather God's attitude and his emotion and his hatred of sin and unrighteousness. Wrath is his attitude against sin and because it is sin that wounds and destroys the very people he created. Wrath is God's holy anger. God loves the sinner, but his wrath hates the sin. His hatred of sin is not like ours, which is usually brought on by somebody offending us or us not getting our way. God's hatred of sin is perfect, proper, and holy. Anyone can see that his wrath is revealed from heaven. There are all kinds of consequences for our sins. People of all ages have that inward understanding that there's a power above somewhere who could not possibly be pleased with some of the things I have done. There's an awareness, even in little children, they they sense that. Uh, We have that inner witness that we've done something wrong. Think about Adam and Eve. They knew immediately when they sinned. And what was their reaction? They hid hid from God. So you only have to look at world history and see judgment from God is all around. It's not just from scriptures that we see God's wrath towards sin. It's within the understanding of man that he has a sense of how God or whoever must hate sin. This wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Their ungodliness is really a lack of reverence and a total disregard for God. Unrighteousness speaks of all the deeds that are completely (coughs) contrary to God and his will. So when people refuse to acknowledge God, they refuse to properly worship him. Without any reverence, this will lead to total disregard for his ways and how he wants them to live. What you think about God will either lead you to righteousness in your behavior or unrighteousness. Those with no reverence for God will do deeds that deny and defy his standards and to these his wrath is directed. But again, the question presents itself. How can heathen men man, know about God and reverence him and even carry out his will? Can he really be held responsible when he knows nothing? Well, the wrath of God is something that is deserved. Everyone deserves the wrath of God because everyone is unrighteous. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeks after God. We'll be seeing that in chapter 3. But what mankind does is suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, people suppress or hold down truth about God. Even those who have never heard about the one true God or have never been able to read the Bible have suppressed the truth about God. And how has that happened? Verses 19 and 20, since the creation of time, everyone born has been given a lot of truth about God through nature all around them. The psalmist says the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Any person, any place in this world can contemplate God's work and grasp enough about his nature to keep from being an idolater. When you see a baby born, when you see a snowstorm, a mountain, the stars, the moon, lightning, blooming flowers and trees and the ocean and what's inside, you know God is powerful. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. When people (coughs) observe this power in nature, they can realize that God is a real person, a supreme power beyond everything that he has created. Mankind is able to see also that God is good. I'm always reminded when I'm thinking about Romans 1, of a lady from our community, community named Martha, and she grew up in Suriname in the jungles. And as a little girl, she remembers uh, looking out at nature and saying, God, whoever you are who made this, I want to know you. And in a short period of time, God sent missionaries, shared the gospel with her. She trusted Christ. Her parents kicked her out of the home. They had multiple pagan um, idolatrous religion, and she ended up back here in the States where she raised her family. But she saw the witness, and she acknowledged who God was. Not only is God good and powerful, but he does control all things. Nature is the very witness to all people that there is this all-powerful, all-knowing person behind creation. The mind that God has given to people is able to make obvious conclusions so they can see from effect to cause. Animals don't have that. We can communicate with language. No person can stand before God and say, you know what, God didn't reveal himself to me at all. I don't really have, you know, this, I don't even believe this. Even if you know nothing about Jesus or the Bible, creation should bring a sense of wonder and awe and respect to whoever made this. God intended for his creation to bring people to a proper response to him. But what did pagan man do? 21. For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks. Instead of humbly seeking the Creator who made all this majestic creation, man rejected the truth that he had clearly been revealed to him. They are without excuse because they knew the truth about God. Generally, from observing nature, you can see from nature His goodness, His power, His wisdom, His orderliness, His sovereignty. There's so much to see. People who have no excuse because when they saw these truths about God, what did they do? They refused to give him glory and refused to worship him or give him praise. And even though all creation is declaring the glory of God, man refused to embrace the truth. And with a stubborn and defiant heart, they refused to acknowledge God and give him the glory and worship him. We read in Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, speaking of Jesus, Our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and they were created. Man was created to give glory to God, but instead he refused to recognize him. Then he refused to acknowledge God's benefits and to be thankful. Thankful for the air to breathe. Thankful for the shade of a tree. Thankful for the warmth of the sun. But that did not happen. Paul proves that ancient pagan man has a charge against them from God. Same is true today. We live in a world that refuses to glorify God. Of course, people speak about God, and they have the God that they've created in their mind that they're very comfortable with. But men and women refuse to give the true creator God glory. They refuse to submit their wills and their lives to God, who has given the light of creation to convince them of who he is. And when people refuse to recognize God for who he is, then they will refuse to be grateful for all he has done. People are happy to benefit and use the gifts from God. Oh, food, rain, all these things, and yet they are not willing to worship him or praise him or thank him for his gifts. And what happens when man rejects the light of God in creation? They became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. It's as if people turn off the light that God had given, and instead their hearts went to a dark place. Now they fill their mind with irrelevant and useless speculations about God. They suppress the truth about God that they had seen clearly revealed, and in its place they have substituted their own worthless reasoning and speculations. This is the reason there is so much error about God. Mankind has rejected the revelation of God and now substitutes it with their own thoughts. That's why there are so many religions invented throughout the world. It's not because they have this passion to know and find God. We're all on the same road to get to him. No. Rather, it's because they have refused to accept the truth of the one true God. The truth is mankind is going backwards. They are not going towards God. At one time people knew there was one true God who alone should be worshipped by his creation. But they decided not to do that and chose rather to invent their own ideas about the God they feel good about. The one that works for them in their minds. Their own ideas about how man got here or how the earth and all of it began. This is what he speculated on and for all his great intellectual pride he became a fool. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. People begin to believe what they think is the final authority. All of human philosophy only leads him into greater darkness. A hundred plus years of pushing evolution as a valid, intellectual, proven science that proves how the universe began and how people came from monkeys, that's man's shot at wisdom. Man, in his wisdom, says that a baby in a womb, oh, well, that's not a baby, that's fetal tissue. But the same government where we are, who would charge someone with a double homicide if they killed a pregnant woman, that's a double homicide, but you can go to the doctor and kill your baby, and that's legal. So professing to be wise became fools. The great educators <laughs> of who study human behavior, and I've heard them interviewed, they deny that pornography affects the behavior of criminals who act out things that they've watched in violence, or, or all of the violent games that are played uh, because people want to kill for fun. And then they are so shocked when a jogger runs by and some young teens kill him for fun because they were bored. Why, why would we be surprised? As men plunge further into this dark thinking, he becomes justifying in his own mind all kinds of evil that they want to do. Society tries to silence the truth about God, and what was once known as the goodness of God is now luck or good fortune. The power of a hurricane or tornado or a lightning storm is Mother Nature. And destiny and fate are the things that just happen instead of an all-powerful God who is sovereign. So as people become foolish and sink deeper and deeper into the darkness of their own minds, now they decide to create things to worship. After all, there is a part of man that longs to worship. That is how he made us, to, to have a desire to worship, and it was to be worshiping him. So they invent gods. Verse 23, and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Here we see what a fool man has become. Instead of worshiping the creator of heaven and earth, man begins worshiping man, mostly self, um, money, or other people or birds or animals. Something had to take the place of that when God was rejected by people, and so they just have their own gods. The very animals that prove the power of God to create and how amazing they are, they become the object of worship. Rather than the one who made them. I remember some years back I was in California and uh, there was this big group by the ocean and they were having this big celebration and dance and chanting. It was all to the dolphin. So, I mean, that's, I've seen that kind of stuff around locally too. Mm -hmm. But, anyways, all the cults that have emerged, all the false systems of belief uh, that exist in every little tribe and every nation, they are not because people want to find the the real God and give him glory. People were made to worship the true God, and when they denied him, they replaced him by inventing what they chose to worship. False gods become a justification to hate, to kill, right? Let me create a religion that justifies my hatred for a people group, and then I can kill and I'm actually doing God a favor. So people, the thinking is so twisted and so warped. Paul has presented a very convincing proof that even pagan man is guilty before a holy God and they're without any excuse. How can God not look at this world that he made and not be angry? We, we get angry watching the news. And we're just sinful like the people who are watching on the news. Can a holy God simply look away and do nothing about the horror and injustice going on? God is angry with man's sin. And because of this, anger, we see this next section, the wrath of God is displayed. (coughs) In these next verses, we see how God displays his wrath. This is happening all around us. It's every day, and we're impacted by it. There's a future day of judgment coming for sure, but this is a present everyday reality as well. God displays his wrath by letting people have their own way. God abandons man, or he lets him go, he takes his hands off, and says, go do what you want to do then. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. As people have refused the testimony of nature, they run after the other gods that are false or they make up. Then God removes his restraints from society so that what was once done in secret is now done openly and is acceptable. God lets people behave the way they want, and the consequences of their own sin is actually the wrath of God being carried out. We see the wrath of God displayed by the wickedness of any society who has turned from him. The restraints of sin are removed by God, and then people are swept away into this spiral pit that just keeps going down deeper. Don't imagine that there are not grave consequences to people who reject him, mock him, despise him, curse him. The last nine verses of this chapter describe how pagan man behaves when God lets them do what it is they want to do. Years ago, I recall a well-known Christian saying that God's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah if he doesn't deal with America in judgment. Well, the truth is, he punishes every society that continues to refuse to worship him. There is a sense that his wrath is here, punishing sin by simply letting people do what's in their hearts to do, and everybody else gets impacted by that. Our world has gone insane with lust, and vile passions, and hatred, and extortion, and murder, and theft, and drugs. Throughout all of history, when people and societies have forsaken God, God has punished them by letting them go their own way and do the things that they want to do, and they experience the consequences and the pain of their rebellion. This happened in Israel, God's chosen people, and it continues. It's not new. This sin-ravaged culture we live in denies truth, blames the God of the Bible and those who follow him as narrow bigots and whatever, And the wars and the famines and the killing, the abuse of women, the abuse of children, the hatred of races, these are all the results from man doing what he wants to do. God doesn't violate a person's will and make them obey him and worship him. He lets them do what they want to do, and there are consequences. When we see the expression, God gave them over, It's used elsewhere as a judicial sense, the thought really being he handed them over to an imprisonment to that which would inflict pain upon them. This is the experience of every society that has chosen to cast off God, who in turn God has given them over to the consequences of doing their own sinful desires. They become prisoners of their own lust. And God actually inflicts pain upon them by letting them inflict pain upon themselves. We see this in the area of sexual immorality. People have become enslaved by their lustful, immoral sexual desires. Of course, man thinks he is free to do what he wants to do and and seek his own pleasures, but the truth is he is trapped and imprisoned. God delivered him to do the wicked things his heart longs to do. Man without any restraints puts into action what's in their heart. The result being that their bodies might be dishonored among them. People have convinced themselves that sex is simply a biological need. Therefore, it doesn't matter how you meet that need, an extramarital affair, same-sex uh, relations, even abusing a child, even though thankfully our com- our country has laws against that, but that doesn't stop anybody, does it? After all, uh, if you have this need to be fulfilled, That's the thinking. But the actual reason they cannot control themselves is because God has given them over to their passions that they cannot stop. Prison doesn't change a predator of children. In a warped mind, there is an enslavement to a lust that can never be enough. It can never be satisfied. We as believers have the indwelling Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to say no to sin and control our passions. But that is not the case for unbelievers. And God has taken off the restraints. And why has he done this in verse 25? The truth of God and his power and goodness have been exchanged for a lie. The lie perpetuated is that some other idol is God. People worship and serve the creature instead of the creator. When Paul mentions this, he just breaks out into praise saying, God be blessed forever, amen. In verse 26, Paul gives the example of mankind's sexual uncleanness as he speaks specifically about homosexuality and lesbianism. Regardless of what learned people of our day say and may declare, God calls homosexuality sin. It's a learned behavior that has its roots in an initial experience, followed by more pleasurable experiences and thoughts, and then it becomes a pattern of life. God gave them over to degrading passions that dishonor him. Women with women, men with men, attempting to fulfill the sexual passion that are against the laws of nature. I mean, you look at the laws of nature, you don't see two animals of the same sex trying to mate. doesn't work. It's not just look at nature. It brings about the destruction of God's plan and a family unit. It is contrary to his plan. He's the one who created people. He's the one who made a man. Then he's the one who made a woman for the man to be complete. He did make another man for that purpose. Paul makes a point by saying even there were women engaged in this kind of perversion. This degrading passion is against nature uh, and has such a hold on people uh, to have this burning desire. Their life focus becomes satisfying this lust. It becomes a self-inflicted bondage, and in reality it is anything but God calls this sexual sin indecent, a perversion of God's design for men and women. There is a burning lust level among those enslaved to this sin that is rarely known among heterosexuals. Remember the episode in uh, Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah? Angels look like men come and stay at Lot's house and the homosexual community are trying to break down the door to get to those men to have relations with them and the angels strike them all blind. And it doesn't even deter them in the least. Their groping. says they weary themselves trying to find the door. They had one thing on their mind. But what does our culture say about this sexual sin? That it's normal, it's acceptable, it's an alternative lifestyle. People are born this way and should not be thought of any differently. But, the, but God's word condemns this sin. Like it condemns all sexual sin. In the Old Testament it was punishable by death. Everyone born is a sinner. We all are. And we all have different tendencies, and we all have different temptations that we struggle with. You aren't born a murderer or a thief or a homosexual. When there is a habitual and unrepented of sin becomes a practice, it is because of your choice. The result of choosing this sexual sin as a lifestyle is that one receives in their body due penalty of their error. The horrific physical consequences of this sin gives evidence of God's condemnation of it. The great loneliness, the depression, the guilt, the transitory relationships are just a few of the sorrows along with many physical problems. But on the side note, the great news of the gospel is the gospel sets people free. I've heard wonderful testimonies of these people out of this type of background who the Lord has set free and they are testifying to his grace and mercy. The true church of Jesus Christ, you know what, has often failed to show love and a heart of compassion to those guilty and in this particular sinful lifestyle. But we are the only ones who have a message of hope and forgiveness and freedom from the control that it can have. We need to share that love and that light and the grace of God and forgiveness with everyone, regardless of what kind of lifestyle Further results of the depraved mind are seen in the rest of the chapter 28 through 32. (coughs) People from all cultures that turn away from the light of God are given over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. The pagan that has rejected and suppressed the truth about God now engages in things that men are not fit to do. They have a corrupt mind, And this exploits other people. They do what is not proper. Paul gives a sample of the wickedness done. Uh, This is not an exhaustive list he gives. But you realize every one of us are guilty in seed form and in some form of this, Mm -hmm. though it hasn't been full-blown necessarily in all of our lives. But
1: unrighteousness, that's just a general term
0: for everything listed here. Wickedness, greed, depravity, envy, Mm -hmm. murder, Strife, deceit, malice, gossip, and slander, and the list goes on. Haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, trying to come up with new ways to harm people. Disobedient to parents, no respect for authority, without any understanding, no moral or spiritual understanding. Untrustworthy because they break their, their word and don't keep a covenant. There's even a lack of normal, natural, tender affection for families. This is the world we live in. This is our local and world news. This is what the depraved mind behaves like. So the wrath of God is defined in verse 32. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. Here's the final proof of man's guilt before God. They know they're doing wrong. They know that conscience that they're pressing down and trying to ignore. They know it's wrong, but they continue to do it because we love our sin. We want to do what we want to do. And then when others do the same thing, they applaud because it makes you feel good about yourself because I'm not the only one doing this. And they cope with life, oftentimes with help from drugs and alcohol, to numb those nagging fears about what if I died and what if there really is a God that I'm going to have to stand before one day. And they create other gods in their mind, gods that condone what they like to do. Oh, I can find a church that says, this is okay. That's I can find a book. And this man says, this is all right. So we find whatever we want to justify. Christians do the same thing, justifying our own sin and having blind spots. And certainly the world does it at a greater level. They may even become, as I said, religious, pil- make pilgrimage, deny self, all to avoid that nagging, fear of coming judgment every society knows these things listed are wrong many have laws that punish them and yet the defiance of God continues even to the point that people delight when others do the same politicians educators entertainers promote wickedness and try to have it legalized as well That pagan man has been on trial for the judge of the universe, and you know what? He is not innocent. He doesn't have an excuse. He is guilty. The only hope for the unrighteous state of every person born, which is all of us, is the power of the gospel. It is the power of the gospel that brings salvation to everyone who believes, for it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, but the righteous shall live by faith. So the question really is, ladies, who is your final authority? Do you make excuses for the sin in your own life to justify them or just compare them to people who you think that's a lot worse so you think you're okay? Have you been deceived by the educators and the media in our world who have (coughs) depraved minds, that's where they're coming from, who teach us certain behaviors should be renamed and then (coughs) accepted? This passage describes our world and those who have seen their need for Christ and his righteousness are the only ones who can bring a message of hope to a lost and dying world. We have the beacon of light, this word of God, that brings freedom and forgiveness from the bondage of sin, and it is a bondage. So are you trusting in a righteousness that you think you have because you think you're good, at least compared to a lot of people? Mm -hmm. Then you have been deceived. There is none righteous. No, not one. The only way we can be right with a holy God is by having the righteousness of Christ be on our account, by putting our trust in him. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of Christ. So the exchange is there. But who are, is that who you're trusting in? That really is the question. He lived a perfect life here on earth. He took the wrath of God when he hung on the cross. God poured out his wrath. Jesus was abandoned. He was in anguish. He lost fellowship with the Father that had never been experienced by him before. All to pay for your sin and my sin. I pray that none of you are trusting in yourself or in some things that you've been taught growing up in our educational system or whatever. This is the word of God. This is the final authority. Whether we accept it or not, it still is. I pray that You will make sure your faith is in Christ alone, that his death on the cross was for you and your sins. Lord, I thank you for your word, and it's quite explicit. And I praise you that you are the amazing creator of this earth and everything in it. I praise you that we're able to be here clothed in our right minds and can think and can reason and can breathe and can enjoy food and sunshine lord i pray that we will not take the things you have done just in your general kindness to all of mankind that we would not take them for granted lord i pray for each woman here that their hope and their trust would be in your work alone on the cross on behalf of sinners